Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Welcome to Down with D&D. This is Sean Merwin, and today my co-host returns for another stint in the co-hosting chair. Uh, I think if he does one more, he will get a free foot-long sub. <laughs> I have with me Teos Avidia here to talk via our magic sending spell. Teos, Sean, welcome back. Thank you for having me. I thought this was the one where I got the sub, so I'm a little disappointed going in. Yeah. Okay. I think you get a, a six-inch. Six-inch sub. But if you do a couple more, you get the whole foot long. So hold the tomatoes. Good, good times. Hey, thank you for uh, coming to talk. Uh, for those people who haven't seen your previous seventeen uh, stints on the show, could you uh, just give a little rundown? Introduce yourself. Let you know. Let them know who you are and and uh, what you do. Sure. I'm Teos Abadia. I uh, when I'm not trying to save the world through environmental projects that I do in my day job, I write primarily for D&D. Um, I've been fortunate to write for a number of organized play events in the past and uh, working recently I did with you. I worked on the Acquisitions Incorporated hardback book for D&D, uh, working with Dwarven Forge. And probably the most recent thing I did was talk to my dog. No, it was, um, <laughs> he, he loves your show. I know, he, he's very vocal. He's also a co-host. Yeah, that's my dog Chewy somewhere in the background. Uh, but yeah, he's been on the show before. Uh, the other thing that I recently did was to create the code of conduct for RPG projects and put that out on drive-through and itch for free. Awesome. And we will have a link to those in the show notes. Thanks. Yep. So, uh, so you, you are surviving a pandemic. You are continuing to, to work, not only as you said, saving the world through your environmental, uh, projects but also on D&D projects so uh, how how has uh, how has the pandemic been treating you uh, I am fortunate in that I normally work from home so I feel very lucky it's still been I'd say fairly traumatic and difficult for, for all of us for, for my whole family uh, and then on the heels of the pandemic to just have so much going on that affects our RPG community intersects with it uh, from black rights black lives matter uh, women in the industry, you know, it's been tough times. So it is hard as a creator. And I'm, I'm sure you, you know, you and I have talked about this. It's hard to create during times like this. It's hard to focus, but, uh, but it also provides a certain amount of solace and refuge to bury yourself in writing. Yeah. I, I, I almost have a feeling that the pandemic itself, while it's been rough, has been a, a catalyst for some of these things that, that have come out. And so in that sense, if, if that is going to be one of the legacies of this pandemic, then hopefully it, with a positive result, it, it will have been worth it. Yeah, absolutely. As painful as it is, I'm, I'm glad that these topics are coming up in our industry and, and, and that more people are, uh, at least you see a lot of people on the side of wanting to, to, to fix these things, to right these wrongs and improve these conditions. And that's, you know, like you said, it's great. If, that's what come, if we have to go through this to get there, then right. okay, I'm on board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm not trying to discount deaths and and suffering and all that stuff, but you know, sometimes in history, turbulent changes, social changes, are come on the heels of turbulent 
wars or turbulent, you know, diseases, famine, all of those things yeah. tend to trigger. So it's, it's, a. Uh, it's you know historically, if you can step back and look yeah. at it, it's interesting. Living through it, it's it's hard to um, intellectualize it when people you know real people are suffering. Yeah. And, yeah. But yeah, and you're also right about the you know the creative process is tenuous for a lot of people at best, um, and so you know being in this sort of petri dish of of angst and and disease and so on can make it hard, but it also gives you you know, an idea of sometimes what other people have to go through just in, in their normal lives to, to create. Yeah. And, and it, it brings to light that sort of uh, stress and the people who, who do have these hurdles to get over and still create, you know, hats off to them. And it just shows what tremendous work and what tremendous fortitude um, you need to, to be able to get, get over that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's also been interesting for me to see my kids, how they handle it. Uh, and my daughter certainly buried herself in work, even though she doesn't have to, and she's now on summer vacation, but she, she needs to be busy to sort of make it through this time of not, you know, to be with friends or to be, you know, she was supposed to be studying abroad in Japan. Uh, and, and so she's taking every seminar under the sun as a way to focus. Right. Uh, and I'm yeah. writing a D and D adventure with my son, as I mentioned before, and we've been working on that together and, and just, there, there are different ways that they, they find to stay and keep focused. Yeah. I mean, my daughter is supposed to be packing for England um, for a summer uh, session abroad. And that obviously is not happening. And it, so it's just, you know, move on to the next thing and, and uh, learn what you can while you can. So this weekend, something magnificent, uh, wonderful, strange, new happened in the world of D&D. It was D&D Live 2020 online. Um, we, along with various partners, Wizards of the Coast brought D&D Live to the virtual masses. Um, due to the pandemic, this was the first year that there was really no in-person component. Everything was handled uh, online. But they, Wizards of the Coast offered several different avenues of participation. Obviously, they had the big announcement, which is what the whole D&D Live uh, is about, the annou announcement of the next storyline and the next products. You could also watch online games by a variety of celebrity DMs and players. Um, you could vote in an online game called Reality RP. Or you could read up on various areas of Icewind Dale uh, on their interactive website. Or you could play adventures online using a variety of online meeting tools and virtual tabletops. So that is a lot to unpack because not only was it, hey, here's the new storyline, let's get excited, but it was really the first time that Wizards expanded this to a fully online experience. And there were a lot of lessons learned, I think, about the power of both D&D and the internet to bring people together and how it might look going forward. So... Teos, you want to uh, <laughs> you want to pick one of those? Yeah, I mean, many so I'll topics. start with because I had a lot of conversations about this aspect, which is the, the change from last year, right? So last year, what D and D Live was, it was in a Hollywood studio or a couple of studios uh, where people would attend at a fairly high price to be able to rub shoulders and be in in a uh, in uh, you know in seats watching famous people play D and D. Um, and those people 
were, were I, th I think, somewhat known for their already being adjunct or involved in D&D in some way, right, in some capacity. Uh, people like Deborah Wall, right, that you can watch her awesome show. She runs D&D. She's been a guest. You know, she does all these things, and she's a star. Uh, but it, this time, it was like the number of, of prominent names grew exponentially and in a very different format where now it's being shown online uh, as the only venue, right? There's, there's no venue to attend, no Hollywood studio to go to. Uh, everybody's being brought in remotely, but, but yet it's bigger, which was really interesting, right? So it, it certainly didn't, didn't seem to be a hiccup from the, from the live stream perspective of watching the game. Right. I mean, it, was, it was tremendous growth. I mean, you know, a whole bunch of cast members from Game of Thrones. Like right. if you could have landed one last year, that would have been really cool. Yeah, yeah. Cable of them. And, and just, you know, and you had some, some famous people playing who just, out of any one of the names could have been a, a real shocker five years ago. Right. And there were multiples per table. Right. I mean, we're talking like, you know, David Harbour. Right. Like, <laughs> from... Uh, Stranger, Stranger things. things and several, you know, movies, even, you know, even, you know, bigger and bigger movies as, as time has gone by. It, it's, um, it, it's just, it's absurd, right? Like if you try to think at all of like, if this was when we were kids mm -hmm. and that some star from one of our shows back then, let alone right. multiple, I mean, we, we wouldn't have understood. I don't know how we would have grasped that if that had happened. Right. It, right. It, it, it it's unfathomable just because of the situation you know, that the early eighties, mid eighties, even into the nineties where the game was looked at on as suspect, yeah. right. A bit by, by certain segments of the population. So it, it would have been a total game changer yeah, uh, for sure. And yeah, I, I looked in briefly when, when I was on some downtime from running games in on the Game of Thrones cast playing, and that was just out of control. I only watched for about 10 minutes, and I was just like, poor Kate, because I don't even know what I would do with this. I, so I have watched zero seconds of any of the online content because I was so busy this week and uh, over-preparing for my tables. But um, right. but it's on my list of to-dos, and I'm very excited. I've also had a, a pound of work to get through, but a pound of work. But once I get through that, it, it is, I mean, I'm like dying to watch all this stuff. And I've heard nothing but positive things about all these various games and how absurd they were. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, you know, how often have you been like, oh, I want to watch, you know, this series on Netflix or this. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, I want to get through my work so I can watch all of these people playing D&D. &D. And, yeah. And, and, and they've always been good. You know, we've always had the chance to watch amazing people, whether it's Jeremy or Mike, any number of people, Deborah, to run these games. Uh, you know, in all of these events, the Tomb of Annihilation streams were amazing. I mean, just as a dungeon master, as a player, if you want to watch people who are honing their craft, like it, it's incredible. And I'm sure this year was the same. And then there's the whole, you know, the fact that it's this big reveal, right? And, and in some ways bigger than ever reveal. Uh, and I thought more, and more carefully done, like I feel like this was even a better year for Wizards Hasbro, all of that to to align partners, right? That there is a closer announcement of all the miniatures that are coming out and the supporting mm -hmm. products, and you know the WizKids angle, the D and D Beyond angle, like all of that. It was perhaps even more tightly woven together through this format. 
so let's talk about that reveal for just a second uh in case people are catching up the uh, re reveal was that the new adventure the new storyline season would be set in Icewind Dale um, and the product is called Icewind Dale Rime of the Frost Maiden um, so that will be coming out in mid-September as those products normally do along with that there were the uh, well there was the announcement of the supplementary products including uh, dice including a i think 500 dollars platinum edition beetle and grim box set to go along with the adventure for those of you who want to spend half a of a thousand dollars for your game um so if you want to do that let me know <laughs> i mean and, you know I, I i did purchase the silver box of uh salt marsh from mm -hmm. them because i was really dying to know how good these are yeah. And it, it is really good. And what I would say, yeah. what I would look at for this product, uh, because 500 bucks is, is no joke. Uh, right. But what I would say is it is really, really well done. It is very convenient. And if what you're looking at is to buy an adventure to run with a bunch of friends, mm -hmm. and if you can get, you know, some dollars from each of them, yeah, this is like the best purchase ever, right? Um, and of course, there's always collectors and whatever, just because you love Dale or whatever. There are a lot of reasons why this can work for you. But um, it, you and I have talked about this before. The price per adventure for an, for just like a normal sixty dollar book, when you think about a campaign that you run, you know, sixty sessions or whatever, like it's nothing. And you split it amongst everybody, like it, it's so cheap. And so this actually brings the cost to what is kind of a, a, a still not even that crazy a level when you're when you're talking about the whole group and how many times you're playing it. So I, I yeah, I just want to pause and say that I think that having seen a couple of these box sets and also conventions, like it's pretty cool. If you can, yeah. it's it's neat. Yeah, and and that's something that you know you you've talked a lot about, and I've talked a lot about, and I think you've even talked about it together. It is if this if this hardcover book gives you, you know, five hundred hours of game. Yeah. Then the cost per hour is reasonable, even at five hundred dollars. Yeah, even at five hundred dollars. Um, and of course, you don't need to do that, but. If it, if it enhances the experience of you and your players, then it, it is worth it in terms of your entertainment value. Yeah, and I think this weekend they had a 10% off, so it was, you know, like 450 bucks or something like that. Makes it yeah. a little easier. Yep. So uh, thoughts on, on Icewind Dale? Uh, so I, I think uh, Icewind Dale is an awesome region. It's... It's a region that I think uh, captures the imagination. Like it's very D and D, you know, mm -hmm. inhospitable, inhospitable, cold, you know, the snow, the the dangers, monsters that are fairly alien, but yet kind of feel like they're natural, like they're ecologically based, right? Mm -hmm. You know, yetis and remoras and creatures like that that are just very exciting. Um, you can't help but come with where this place started, which is through the mind of R.A. Salvatore and, and all of his Drizdord and series books and companions. Um, yeah. I recently read the first book. I had not read that in a very, very long time. And I read it with my son. And uh, there are a few things that are, that are dated, uh, particularly yeah. how he, his take on a lot of women. Um, right. Though I know he's improved that in his late writing, but, but uh, you know, it's very antiquated. Uh, it feels yeah. like the nineties. Uh, but, but the story itself is 
actually quite engaging. And, and my son and I had a, had a great time uh, reading through that. And it's very imaginative. It's, it's a cool story. It's, it's a neat idea, this idea of the crystal shard, Krinshinaban, and the Car Kessel, and the Arcane Brotherhood, and the Ten Towns, and all of their squabbles that they have, and the Barbarian Horde, and dwarves, and giants. I mean, it, it's, it's rich stuff. It's rich, great D&D. And, and going back there has never felt to me like too much for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, it's because there is that richness and, and diversity of story that, that you can tell there, but it, it's still very much settled in both fantasy tropes you know, and in D&D lore. Yeah. Uh, and, and I was wondering, you know, the last season we got was Baldur's Gate plus Avernus and, you know, Baldur's Gate being the darling of the D&D uh, video games. Right. Yeah. Most of the video games that people talk about with D&D are either called Baldur's Gate or set in or around Baldur's Gate. And then the second large video game that came out um, based on that Baldur's Gate sort of I, th- there's a name for the uh, yeah. for the software. Right. You know, uh, was Icewind Dale. Right. I played. So I didn't play Baldur's Gate. Shock. I know I'm like that. Okay. But uh, but I played that Icewind Dale game. And its yeah. expansion and Icewind Dale two forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. I mean, I I played the first Baldur's Gate and then I missed a couple of them, but then Icewind Dale was the next one I played. And it, de- you know, you definitely have that. It's different, but it's still D and D. Yeah, you know, so much, uh, so much so. And what I've also found interesting is, you know, with the last few releases, especially, they've tried to kind of give you a setting but then give you a theme yeah um so you know Baldur's gate was this is Baldur's gate but you are in hell and you had the mad max theme you had that sort of feel to it mm-hmm. um with this one it looks like they're going for a more horror based theme mm-hmm. uh, based on everything their tagline is yeah, a tale of terror that revisits forlorn flickering candlelights of civilization and then, you know, bone chilling locations. So I've heard uh, a lot of mention of HP uh, Love's crafts at the Mountains of Madness uh, as kind of a theme, as well as The Thing, yeah. uh, John Carpenter's yeah. movie, The Thing. Um, so that's sort of this paranoia, isolation, secrets, not knowing who to trust. Uh, so I think that will make a very interesting campaign uh, as long as people can separate it from what's happening in the real world with the isolation <laughs> and the paranoia. Well, or, uh, the yeah, paranoia. Or, or maybe even dip into it a bit, but from a sense of acknowledgement uh, while still being a fantasy thing, right? Like, sure. You know, you know what it's like to be alone or, or isolated, but, but you, but you're fantasizing it in a different way and working with it. Right? Right. I think, I think that can be healthy. Uh, the, and, the and even yeah. even even if there is isolation, you're you're with other party members. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, it, that that hopefully will. And you're still going to be a bunch of idiots at the table making silly jokes. So. That is always important <laughs> as well. And how about the writing team? Oh, I mean, diverse, great, yeah, uh, a ton of women. Right, majority yeah. women team, which might be. I mean, other than like early AD and D releases and a few other kind of because there are two people and you know. 
one of them is women or a woman, uh, this is right. you know, a really big step. And, and wizards, uh, a friend of mine was saying this recently, that uh, wizards tends to not disclose anything that's not out or anything about anything that's not out. And so like they'll have discussions about diversity, but they won't say like, hey, right now we have this writing team, right? right. And you only yeah. see it when it comes out, even if it's a year later or whatever. Uh, and it's very cool to see a, a number of new writers there. And, and even when they've had such success with really talented writers in the past that they would switch and bring in yeah. a new team like this is, is cool to see and very, and very thought provoking. Yeah, it's very, it's great to see. And, you know, based on things that I've heard, just, you know, rumors flying around, it's only going to get more diverse uh, as, as future future products come down the line. So it's good to see that, you know, they wizards has put out statements on diversity and, and so on, and that they are following up even if they can't or don't talk about it immediately. You're, you're absolutely right. And wizards seems to acknowledge that they're not perfect, but they're working on it. Right. I mean, none of us are, but, uh, but yeah, which is good. To, that's a, a generally a healthy way to be approaching things. So it's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. The reveal was neat. Uh, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a known thing that I've play tested stuff before. So, so I don't always have like you, I don't always have the surprise effect of, that other people do, but, but back when this was a surprise to me, it, it was a very welcome one. And I, I'm excited. This is, this is certainly one of the adventures that when it's been announced, I'm like, I want to play this. I want to run this. Mm -hmm. This is, this is neat. Yep. There are great stories to tell here. Uh, a, a diverse number and variety of stories to tell. And I can't wait to see not only, you know, what's in the final version of rhyme of the frost maiden, but you know, for the adventures league, what comes out for yeah. that and for the guild adepts, right? What stories do they tell? And, and then once it's opened up uh, on the DMS guild, what stories and, and products and ideas the community as a whole can come up with. Yeah. Because I think it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see that you know what the diverse creative minds out there can come up with well i'll certainly do my part when when this was announced uh i had to touch base with eric mengi since we worked together during tomb of annihilation to do jungle right. tracks and we're going to do a uh ice tracks for sure because oh. they're just so many cool encounter ideas that deal with yeah. frost and snow and, and the creatures from these realms and the lore and the arcane brotherhood and all of this. Yep. <laughs> Let's do another one. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of lore, this is one of those areas where the lore has been around for a long time. The lore has been treated in novels, in games, in products, you know, game products, and it's changed over the years. Yeah. And, and in some ways it's good. You know, as you said about some of the early novels, it's, it's good if it changes, mm -hmm. uh, so it will be interesting to see what what this new product, especially with a lot of new writers on the project, uh, how it's changed and and what what they can come up with based on that lore that doesn't necessarily cling to lore. Yeah, I mean, so you know, there are the games that uh, that took part this week, and which I'm sure we'll go back and talk about. Um, they had a, an interesting change in them in that they talk about this strange black substance uh, that is found in one of the encounters that you wrote. Um, mm -hmm. card, I think it's Shardalen. 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 Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that's a really neat 
take because Chardolin is in the past something that the Netherese would mine and, and it's tied even to the ancient progenitor races uh, that came long, long ago in the Forgotten Realms. And it is a very brittle substance that's used by the Netherese to store spells. And you can then sort of break this thing and the spell is released. Uh, and so it was highly coveted and, and but it was, it was this, it was a slightly different substance, right? And, and now it looks like this has been combined with the lore of Isundale, which in Isundale the idea was that when Krenshinabon, the artifact, forms this huge black tower uh, that looks like ice, it taints the area around it and has caused growth throughout Isundale of a hard black mineable substance that's more like an iron or some sort of softer metal that you can shape into weapons. And that used to be called black ice. And it looks like we've removed that term, which is probably a good thing. Uh, right. and, and joined the two lores together into this substance, which is very cool. Yeah, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting. That's the perfect piece of lore you know, to discuss how things change over, yeah. over time. And you know, some people, for some people, different is bad. For some people, different is good. But in reality, different is just different. And it's, it's what you do with the difference that, that matters creative, you know, creatively than it is clinging to the past or changing the past. Absolutely. Just make it richer and make it fun. Right. Yeah. So any, any other thoughts on, on the uh, Icewind Dale itself uh, on that? No, but something related. So I heard you had a hand, Greg Tito uh, on the last segment of D&D News, I guess the format's changing. He announced yesterday, so he gave kudos to you because you wrote the introductory adventure. And he also said that you were involved in some of the VR planning and, and storytelling. Yeah, a, a bit. Uh, that's all, you know, that's all NDA stuff. Okay. But let's just say that this, you know, the the pandemic changed the way D and D Live works. <laughs> I think we could safely say that. And so over over time, the the story, the the different ways to engage the audience uh, changed. So there was a uh, absolutely fabulous team that was going to put together an in person D and D Live experience mm -hmm. um, to to let, let's let's the best way to talk about this is to segue into a new topic which is online conventions yeah or online things right so dnd live in the past as you said last year it was in a sound studio or or a television studio and you could play dnd but it was just in this uh, epic adventure last three hours and then you were done and then you were back off going through the, the dealer area or mingling with the, the stars, whatever. Um, and it was decided that we needed shorter but more available content. So the one-hour adventure idea came up. And great. That way you can play for an hour. If you want to continue playing, you can. But you're not stuck in a room playing for four hours if you would rather be doing something else. And so a lot of the planning revolved around that. And then all of that had to be thrown out because we can't be there in person. So how do we make it work in this online uh, venue? And the team that Greg put together to work on that involved, you know, online content creators, puzzle creators, uh, game, online game creators who were amazing. I, I couldn't even keep 
I couldn't hold a candle to any of them uh, in terms of the ideas. And, and, and so I was just kind of there to say, here's what I've written. Let's see how we can make it kind of work together. Uh, and so that my involvement in the VR portion was, was minimal mm-hmm. um, except to nod in awe at, at these, at these creators. People like Elicity who just. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. With just so many great ideas and watching them work together and come up with these ideas was, it's one of those times when you just shut up and you just watch and you just listen and you just try to learn yeah. a little bit of what they know. Yeah. That's great. So, so the, yeah, so so that was that was my experience there. But you know, in terms of then moving it to, to an online uh, venue, it became what we're losing some things, yes. But what what do we gain from that? And you can gain a lot from that, I think, as we found out, because of the technology that's available now, uh, because of the spread of the game of D anD D to to new people in new places, which you found out uh, when you were running the online game. Could you talk a little bit about the, uh, your experience with, uh, with running the four, the missions? Gladly. Cause it was, it was yeah, one of the greatest pleasures I've had. So my understanding is that at some point in the discussion process, the, the folks at, at wizards and at Baldwin games were saying, you know, hey, we could even offer some tables in Spanish. And so when Call for Dungeon Masters came out to the group of DMs that usually do events like D&D Live or Winter Fantasy or Origins or Gen Con, uh, it, it said, you know, other languages of interest, you know, mention if you can run in those. So I reached out to Dave Christ of Baldwin Games and I said, yeah, I'd totally run some tables in Spanish. And then when the room t- assignments came out, and this was all, as you're saying, like it was, there was a lot of change, right? A lot was happening yeah. fast, quickly. Everybody was trying to juggle a lot of things. And so I, you know, the schedule comes out and it says, all my tables are in Spanish. I'm like, okay, cool. All right. I got to, <laughs> you know, brush up on my Spanish and pull up the, the <laughs> you know, open up my 5e Spanish book and uh, remember what the different classes are called, you know, because a wizard and a warlock and a, uh, uh, sorcerer, like sorcerer. You, know, you gotta, which is which, right? And uh, right. and all those kinds of things. And what is a saving throw? Okay, right. And so I just started, and I even then I would translate your adventure because I wanted to have the box text sort of translated to have that firmly in my mind. And I began working on this, and all hoping that you know someone's going to show up to these tables. Right. And the result was astounding. It was. I wrote down some numbers. Uh, we had some nine tables in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, we had 43 and I didn't keep perfect numbers. It was only like after the first day that I thought, you know, I should try to remember what I had on the first day and actually track this, but it was at least 43 players across the nine tables, uh, at least 20 unique players. And, and what's crazy and, and countries, I mean, we had, I had players in one game. I had players from Argentina, Brazil, Chile, and Spain in a four player table, right? And then we had Uruguay, uh, the U.S. Um, and, and so, you know, just it was really amazing to do this. And like you said, the technology just allows you to do this. Like we're having really quite clear connections yeah. from the tip of Argentina in South America <laughs> to Oregon. Right. And, and right. a person in Spain all at the same time. It, yeah. It's amazing. And, and these are right. folks who never could have gone to D&D Live. 
uh, and can't go to Gen Con or Origins or places like that, and they can participate. And, and the English table's reporting similar things. There are people from Australia and the UK yeah. and you know all over Japan, China, yeah. uh, who who want to be a part of this and now can. And having tables in Spanish language was great for me. That, that was it was super fun, and the players were amazing, and 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 the players were were thankful. Like they felt like. You know, so sort of thank you, wizards, for acknowledging us and 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 involving us. Right? It, it meant a lot to those players that that this was a possibility for them to play in Spanish and to and to have this. And all of this happened with very little planning, with very little outreach. Right? It's not like we were going out to South American playgroups and saying, "Oh, hey, by the way, this is happening." It was word of mouth. It was right. a few tweets, a blog post here and there, but. But, you know, there wasn't an official Spanish D&D page or anything like that. It was really quick. And then it was amazingly successful. Yeah. And, you know, just talking with some of the DMs, as you said, probably at least 30 countries represented, maybe even more. Uh, from, from just my, my quick poll of, of DMs and all from all time zones, from all, you know, walks of life, just, you know, an incredible way to 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 do D and D, that as Teo said happened in a couple of weeks, yeah. basically, right? This this wasn't something that has been planned for a year. Yeah. Uh, this is something that's well, we need to do this. How can we make this happen? And you know, you know, kudos to Baldman Games and all the DMs that that yeah. ran because that's uh, it's a it's a tough job DMing. DMing online when you're not used to tools is is a whole other obstacle. And then, you know, making it work, it's kind of fly-by-night uh, DMing is necessary, and it's the future, right? Yeah. One of our DMs, she was saying, um, this is the most nervous I've ever been to play. And I think that was true for a lot of us. You know, we, we spent a lot of time talking about this in, in the Discord chat that we had for DMs because it really was like uh, a completely new thing to take on. You had to not just run the adventure, uh, but there there was all this platform stuff you had to deal with, right? The, the Discord mm -hmm. channel before the game and making sure people remembered where to go to and here's my Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds or Zoom or whatever link. And it was, yeah, it was new skills and new improv and, and it was nerve wracking. I was probably as tense as I've been as a DM since, you know, one of my first conventions, like it, it was, yeah, it was cool though. It was really neat. It, it was neat because I DM, you know, just a few slots, let's say. And, uh, you know, sitting there waiting, I use zoom. So I was sitting there and I'm waiting for people to come into the waiting room and you just, you don't know. And at a convention, right. You go, you're the DM, you, you go to your table and you can watch the players walking up toward you yeah. and you can immediately start you know, start saying, okay, how am I going to adjust the adventure based on what I am seeing? Are yeah. they carrying a big box full of minis? Okay. They're going to want to play on a grid. So, and you can't do any of that when, when you're online, it's just there. Someone is now in your living room or your den or wherever your computer is. Uh, and let's, let's do this. But it's such a testament to D and D as a brand and as a game that we have this sort of common language, yeah. uh, and and common experience and common love of story that we could get past all of that and just get to the fun, 
yeah and get to the communication yeah. you know, and it's 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 a great tool for that it went really well it was it was way beyond my expectations i, I thought there were going to be uh, a lot of technical like major technical issues and that we might have mm -hmm. some really hard lessons that we took from it and while there was a lot that i think we all learned from the event it was overwhelmingly positive and, and left me with this feeling yeah. of wow we can do this and and what's interesting is, you know, you had, you've had a lot of really great guests on your show recently. And one of them was Chris Lindsay from the Organized Play Program. He said something that I sort of interpreted as, as Wizards is thinking that there's an online component sort of from here on out. Uh, and that's not necessarily policy or anything, but it's sort of like what I kind of heard. And it's at least has to be a, a possibility, uh, not only for Wizards, but for any convention to think that you know, I, I need to build up this expertise now and offer this because we're not going to have a physical Gen Con. We're going to have Gen Con online in a couple of weeks. Um, so, but while we're at it, let's think about whenever we maybe have some physical presence, we also can keep having this and you can have people from around the world come together and be part of Gen Con and any of these conventions remotely in addition to whatever might take place physically. If and when. Yeah. And and that's why I I've heard more than one person saying, you know, with this Latin within this last six months with all the conventions that have gone online, things things are different now. Things will be different going forward. Even, you know, Winter Fantasy say, well, the, even when if and when we have Winter Fantasy in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, on the last weekend of January, there will be. A, a, Winter Fantasy Online for anyone who wants to play from anywhere yeah. around the world. And and if you continue that pro thought process, maybe I'm getting all like Star Trek, everyone's, the world's perfect. But why why would we stop there, right? Why is there not a, oh, I feel like playing D&D for two hours. I'm going to go to the Wizards website and see what games are playing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Why can't that happen? Yeah. What's, what's. And I think this this weekend was a, the first step in a long road, but it's we're on that road now. And we have to learn how to do it, right? Because like Wizards started up a, an official Discord channel, mm -hmm. which made me somewhat laugh because it's funny how you know they'll have like forums, no forums, you know. And then okay, now we've got a Discord channel, and this Discord channel. Good luck to anyone who wants to read every message posted there. Right. It's you know it's it's way yeah. more volume than I can handle. Uh, oh sure, but it's there, and it and it does include a, a place where you can chat and say, you know, I'm looking for a game, and it's it's like yep. what you're talking about, right? That idea that you could just come to this and receive support, and and yeah, if the technology improves, because I, I think in a lot of ways these virtual tabletops, they're all not where we want the tools to be in some way, mm -hmm. each one in a different right. way, but but they're not quite yeah. there, they're not quite doing what we need, and there is a theoretical you can see how it could be like, I want to be in a game. Let's go to a game and make that easy and happen. Right. And that could really, right. That could, if yeah. that happens, then it all just could explode. You could literally play D and D at any time with people from around the world. And if you need a particular language, you, you play in that language or you play in English or whatever, right? Like it's just, it really could mm -hmm. be facilitated. Yeah. And you just, the only question then is, you know, I, I'm going way out there now, but you know, you have every single game that you can go online and you're in, you know, D and D online or, uh, the, uh, what's the, Roll what's 20 the one? no, 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 the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the 
ga- video game that you uh, oh never winter stream. never winter right so you can play whenever you want yeah. you go online and you you get yeah. but adding a DM to the process yeah is both a difficult hurdle but it's also what D and D is yeah right and and that's where the 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 fun that's where the personalities that's where all of that comes to yeah. comes to a head and you know making that something that's available to people uh whether it's for just a short spurt or whether it's for a long campaign uh, that that's a killer app yeah. uh without being an app yeah. uh so well that that is the magic the magic is how people come together and it was so true this weekend you know, table after table it was it was the dynamics between these different players that would just create these hilarious scenes and right in and around the the framework of the adventure right i mean that's that's what it's all about right Nothing. and you know i would have dms come to me later and say well i played this this way is that what you meant and i i was like no but what you did was much better than what I wrote, right? Because yeah. the players thought it was great. The players thought it was challenging or, or moving or hilarious. Yeah. And so that's what we need you to do. Yeah. It doesn't matter what I wanted. It's what you and the players wanted. So thank you for doing that. Uh, even though it's not even close to what I was thinking when I wrote it. Well, and it's um, kudos to you because you always write these great intros that, that provide a lot of flexibility and allow for, for things to go in a variety of, of uh, directions and and it's neat to see that it's really neat to see when when you have scenarios and it's not like people just walk in and murder whatever breathing inside and you know claim the treasure it's it's how they're interacting with everything that's in this location and, and the hilarious stories and there i mean i don't want to spoil it because i know this is this is going to run at other conventions is my understanding so I, so I don't want to spoil it, but there are some events at my table that I'll, I'll have to tell you later because they're just so funny. I mean, just, you know, just, and, and we're all laughing as, as the right. player, you know, one of the players comes up with this concept or, or they're exciting, like things that were, you know, as you're sliding down this hill and these really fun ideas come up and they're kind of wacky, like, sure, I'll give you a, a disadvantage. You could try that. And, oh my God, it worked. And okay. And then this right. other person comes up with a follow-up idea and, oh, that's the best. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Love yeah, the and, game. Right. And and the different ways that the DM can can choose to run it is is super important, yeah. right? To to the the fun at the table at the time. So uh good stuff. Well, uh is there anything else you wanted to mention? I mean, I I feel like we barely scratched the surface of this, but we're you know, we're getting toward that hour mark so yeah no i just I, wanted to see if there's anything else that came to mind uh worth mentioning about dnd live i mean dnd live was uh fascinating uh to just see how it's evolved over just a few years uh i, I can't thank the team at dnd enough you know folks like greg tito who have the who are charged with having the vision of this chris tulak and all those kinds of individuals that have to think about how to shape these events uh, good things are coming up, but none of, none of these are never flawless or anything like that, but, but really good work is done. And it's cool that the, the D&D can operate on the scale. Um, and I guess one thing I would say is what was interesting to me thinking about this is that some of what we've been talking about, this idea of like gathering players online and things like that, it's something that smaller companies can do too, right? They can't pull off mm-hmm. D&D live, 
but they sure can pull off an online convention that introduces some new storyline, right, or new mm-hmm. product line. Um, and I, I wonder if we won't see more of that because it's exciting when, and it's a way to pull the whole globe together. And I've been, yeah. I have had my ear to the ground recently about how in really interesting ways RPGs are growing in other countries in, in formats and, and methods that we would never think of. And, and the more that companies, I think, open their minds to these new possibilities, they can help further them. And that can be really significant revenue for them and, and branding and outreach and all that thing, which gets more people playing, more people having fun all over the globe and, and unites us, which is important. Yeah. Yeah. The same tools for running games that D&D Live used, anyone can use yeah. for a very low cost. Yeah. So that, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Cool. yeah well, amazing. Teos, thank you for coming on to share your experiences with us. Thanks. I mean, if I can plug one thing, uh, because you have yeah, a lot of creators you. on your show, uh, I do want to encourage uh, all of the many writers who listen to this to check out the Code of Conduct for RPG Projects. I worked on this with a number of people that gave me their time and expertise. And what it tries to do is create uh, a, a code that you can use and you can freely modify it, change it, even publish it as long as it remains free and it provides attribution attribution to the original one. Uh, But the whole point of it is to create safer projects uh, Mm -hmm. and to allow for a safer space when people are working together. So folks who do collaborative projects on the DM Guild or uh, even within RPG projects themselves should take a look at it and, and try to use those principles. Yep. And that's, I think, in an upcoming episode, we're going to talk about that as well as safety tools in games. So we'll make sure that we check that out uh, at that point. Yeah, it's meant a lot to me. I've already heard two projects that are using it. So that makes me feel very good about it. Awesome. And thank you all out there for being listeners. I want to give a couple patron shout outs. Uh, We have Jeff Stevens, Jim Morrison, Joe Rosso, John Just John, MT Black, Matthew Petruzzelli, Padme's Lover, Robert Dorgan, Ryan Bolter, and Troy Pickleman. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And thank you so much for listening out there. Uh, You can go to patreon.com slash MMP if you want to be a patron. You get access to special content from Down With D&D, Misdirected Mark Productions, and Pandas Talking Games. If you can't help us monetarily, that's cool. We're good with that. But if you could give us a review on whatever medium uh, you listen on, that would be great. Or just talk about us on social media if you enjoy our content. So, Teos, where can people follow you on social media and follow your work? Uh, I'm on Twitter, at AlphaStream, and my blog is alphastream.org. Cool. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Sean Merwin, or you can talk with me on the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com. Down with D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Hey, Teos, uh, what are we going to do now? Let's go kill some monsters on skis. Hey, how do you say go kill some monsters in Spanish? <laughs> Vamos a matar unos monstruos. Sweet. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D?
You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? This whole party. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? 